Welcome back to the Cheers to Education podcast. I'm Bob. And I'm Zach. How's it going, Zach? Going well here. How about there? Not too bad. Got a, got a glass of Merlot here that I stole from the mother-in-law. You're advocating stealing on an education podcast? I borrowed it. I'll, I'll pay her back in love. Yeah, it's always difficult to love a mother-in-law, I guess. As long as they stay out of your way, it's okay. That's right. So what are we talking about today, Zach? This week, we're going to continue on the topic that we started last week, discussing teaching abroad and living internationally and uh, focus on Korea because that's where both of us have experience. That was our first international experience living abroad for a long period of time anyway. Uh, so both of, well, I mean, I know I have some pretty good experiences there in Korea. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Definitely. I mean, some of the best times that I had teaching abroad were in Korea. I mean, the closest friends that I've made and some of the best times as well. Yeah. And last week we sort of talked about the things that you need to teach abroad, live abroad, uh, other than a pulse and a little bit of moxie in terms of education. Obviously in Korea, we, we, we touched on this last week quite a bit because it's what we know the most. So uh, for example, different tiers of schools, uh, there's going to be language center, there's going to be public school, there's going to be an after school program. There's even some good university jobs, which we'll talk about later. And then of course, private international schools um, for, for the lower tier schools. Basically, you're just going to need a degree, a bachelor's degree, and maybe a TEFL certificate or CELTA certificate. Uh, for public school, definitely a bachelor's. They they really want, or they prefer rather, that it's in the field that you're going to be teaching, which is more often than not going to be English starting out. Uh, and a TEFL certification helps, and it definitely gives you a little boost in salary. What about the after-school program? Yeah, my first year teaching, actually, it was my first year of teaching in general, I guess. Well, I did some student teaching already in the States. But then this was my first formal teaching job was at a language center uh, in a small village where Zach and I met. And, you know, and I worked at both, I guess. So the, the my first year, I worked at a language center. And then the second year, I worked at a public school. So I can maybe speak a bit to the differences that you'll see in those two places. And you can find out which one's better for you. I think there's there's good language centers. And then there's bad language centers. And then there's good public schools. And then there's some not so great public schools also in terms of how you're going to fit there and how if you're going to be able to survive, I guess. So the language center that I worked at, it's an after school program and it's for, for students of all ages, really. So when I was there, since I was in a small town, I was teaching students from kindergarten up until 12th, what would be 12th grade in the US. So it's quite a variety of ages there. So basically what you have at a language center or it's called a hagwon in Korean is that after the students finish their normal school days at their public schools, they'll come into you, these these organizations, institutions or whatever you want to call them, and they'll learn about different concepts in English and they have, they have it for math and science and other subjects as well. So you'll sit down with the kids. It'll be a smaller class size than you'll normally see in a public school. So I, I'll, I'll say uh, usually about like 10 to 12 kids was, was about the average that I had at the language center. And then uh, you'll have periods ranging from maybe 30 minutes to an hour. And then the school will usually provide you with some kind of textbooks or study materials that the students are expected to learn that will help them out with their daily lessons in, in school. So as the English teacher there, which you will be, you will be mostly focusing on uh, speaking. So practicing speaking with the students, letting them, getting them familiar with some basic vocabulary, whether it be, you know, their favorite foods or, you know, where they like to go for holiday, what they do on their holiday in high school with the high school kids. They used to deliver an English newspaper to the 
Hogwan. And during our, what we would do is during the lesson, every, all of the kids would get a newspaper and I got a newspaper and we would read it before we came into class. And then we would discuss the different articles and what they thought about it. We would do some debate. Sometimes we'd put some students on one side and one side and then some on another side and they would talk about the different issues that the newspaper went over. So there's quite a lot of variety when it comes to language centers, but, and you know, there, there are some, there are some bosses in language centers that are going to be pretty terrible people to work with. I've, I think Zach and I can both attest to this, even though he's never worked at a language center. There's some bosses that are, you know, very demanding. They, they're sitting over your shoulder, listening to you all the time and watching you on CCTV, maybe. And then there are some who, who really help and enable you to become a good educator and give you all the things that you need. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I've never worked in a language center, like you said, but I worked in a public school there in Korea and as well as an after school program. So I can, an after school program is kind of like blending together public school and a language center. These courses will take place in the public school, just sort of after regular school hours. It's like a supplemental class and they usually take place after 12 and they run until about 5 or 6 p.m. And to be quite honest, those are some of the best jobs you're going to get because you only have to work from 12 till 6. So you can show up at 11. You can leave at 6.30. You're basically working a modified second shift. But as you said, there are going to be some pretty demanding bosses. I remember one of my one of my closest friends, we came over together from the States and worked in a language, not a language center, sorry, an after school program together in Incheon, which is uh, where the airport's located near Seoul. And the boss of this program, for whatever reason, just did not like my friend, just had it had it out for him the entire time. He, he berated him all the time and made, you know, sarcastic comments to him about his teaching performance and stuff, but never gave any uh, positive feedback. However, there was also someone else in the company that would always come and have nice things to say to us. Although they weren't the boss, they were a little bit more supportive they were positive. They had good feedback for us from time to time. Being as it was our first year teaching, what we needed the most was feedback, obviously. So as you said, you're going to get uh, varying degrees of feedback if in a language center or an after school program. And then if you, we, you and I both worked in a uh, public school as well. So the, the curriculum's clean cut uh, in the public system. Korea, uh, South Korea uses a national curriculum. So everything's set by the Ministry of Education and you just have to follow the textbooks that they give you. Uh, you can mix up your own methods and, and approaches in the classroom, but the bottom line is the curriculum has to be approached the way that they have it laid out for you. And oftentimes what you'll find too is you have a partner teacher from Korea who's in the classroom with you who either translates or supports the activities, whatever it may be. There's a little bit more support in the public school system than a language center or an after school program. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I, I always had a partner teacher with me in the public school, but then I, I never had it in the language center. So that's one plus is just to have someone, some another pair of eyes and ears in the classroom to watch people. But, you know, there's also differences. Like I said, in the language center, I would have about 10 to 12 kids average. In the public school, you've got 25, 30 probably. And then definitely the uh, the hours of teaching are different. That's probably the biggest difference, right? You I mean, your, your sleep schedule is different. So if you're a morning person, maybe the public school is more for you working than a normal seven to three o'clock or four o'clock shift. And then a language center, you're working from what, 12 or one o'clock until seven o'clock or some around there probably. So that's right. one of the big, big changes as well. Um, also, I had a buddy who, who landed a pretty sweet job at a university and the university jobs 
in South Korea are a lot of fun based on what I've been told and what I've seen. They, they pay really well. You get three or four months holiday per year. My one friend taught at the university, kind of like their version of West Point. It was a military university. So he just taught the, uh, you know, like the ROTC type students at the, at the university there. And he had a great time. He really enjoyed that. And then another friend of mine, he used to just spend his time in just writing in his office. And then he only taught maybe eight hours max per week or something like that. And the rest of the time was just dedicated to writing and developing good materials for each lecture that he did. Private international school in Korea, I don't have any personal experience with. However, having gone out on a few different IB international baccalaureate training programs and seminars, I've met teachers who work at private schools in South Korea, and I've never heard anything bad about it. Obviously, those schools are going to pay better. Uh, than, than language centers, public schools, after school programs, and so on. But they're also going to be more demanding. Uh, the expectations are going to be a lot higher. That sounds pretty cool. Indeed. Yeah. Once you sort of decide on what type of school you want to work for, and you you take into consideration what you have, you know, we talked in the last podcast about doing a self-inventory. What do you have? What are you prepared to do? Uh, what type of working hours are you interested in? What type of salary would you like? What type of conditions uh, you would like to surround yourself in? After you decide that, you can start looking online for a job. Uh, you can you can go with an agent or a headhunter. There's so many of them all over the internet. Dave's ESL Cafe, I mentioned it in the last podcast, has so many job postings for South Korea. Several of the job postings that you're finding there are going to be from a headhunter or an agent who has some type of connection with schools in South Korea, and they'll put you in touch with those schools. But they're going to handle all the paperwork, and they're going to handle everything that needs to be done throughout the process, they'll get a fee. I remember when I was there, it was like, they got $1,000 per head that they, per, per teacher that they were able to recruit for a school. So keep that in mind when you're dealing with some of these recruiters. I've never really had a terrible experience with any recruiter. However, I've heard stories that people had not so great relationships with their recruiter or the agent that they worked through. And I've heard a couple of horror stories. I know um, in one situation that I worked with in my first job, there was an issue about the flights. Like we were supposed to have our flights paid for, but then he requested that we pay for our flights upfront. And then he said he would reimburse us, but it took like eight or nine months for him to reimburse our tickets. So keep in mind that when you're dealing with an agent, they're going to tell you a lot of good things about it. And they're probably not going to tell you too many bad things. They are, they have financial interest, you know, so keep that in mind as well when you're working with one and be sure to ask the right questions but how you're going to fit in and how, how they're going to go about getting you through the application process. Because there are quite a few things and you need to make sure that they're knowledgeable. So for one, I can think of is you're going to have to get a background check. Uh, last time I checked, it was the FBI background check, the BCI one. Uh, depending on what country you're from, I guess. Yeah, depending. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks for correcting me. If you're from the States, you're going to have to get like an FBI background check. Uh, I don't know what the equivalent is in England or in Australia, but it's going to be the the most comprehensive background check. And then the other interesting one is, uh, well, there, there were a lot of people in the past who were forging degrees and diplomas so they can get jobs overseas to teach. So South Korea added on an extra layer of protection uh, by make, making you take your degree to the Department of State in your state that you're from or wherever you, the university is that you graduated from and verifying that your degree is an original. You have to get it notarized by a notary and then it has to be apostilled from there by the Department of State and then you're good to go after that. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a day at least 
to get all that stuff done. I mean, it's more if you don't know what you're doing, but it's going to take quite a while to get all the documents together that you need. The FBI background check takes quite a long time to, to uh, prepare as well. But I guess, I mean, what Zach said at the beginning here, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of an inevitable process going with an agent or a headhunter because that's just basically the easiest way to get a job in Korea. I, I, I didn't really have any issues with my agent or headhunter either. It was actually pretty straightforward. They told you what you needed. You sent it, you sent it to them and then that was basically it. You had a job and you were flown out there and you started working. But yeah, like Zach said, there's there's some people who will try to mess you around a little bit, like with your flights. I've I remember someone who was working there who showed up to a to the airport and to be picked up and headhunter picked them up and drove them to a different part of the town than they than they thought that they were than they than they had already agreed to work at. So they ended up working at like a, an all girls high school or something like that when they were supposed to be working at an elementary school. So, you know, you got to kind of take into account that and make sure you're very clear and concise with what you expect and then uh, what you they expect from you. So I'm only going to teach elementary school or I'm only going to teach high school. That's you need to stand, stand your ground on that and be very clear. Yeah, absolutely. And always keep your passport with you. Never, ever, ever under any circumstance, if a school tells you that they need to hold on to your passport for you, you never let them do it. I wouldn't worry about it for public schools, university jobs, or international schools. But there have been occasions where I've heard people working at language centers who have had their passports just held, you know, so they couldn't they couldn't go for a run, you know, in the middle of the night. Because there are some teachers that just can't handle the culture, and they have too much culture shock, and they just do a runner in the middle of the night. So some language centers who invest quite a bit of money up front to, you know, the headhunter paying them a thousand dollars or whatever their fee might be, plus your flights and all of that. They want to make sure that you stay for what you said you're going to stay, which is in the contract, usually one or two years. But under no circumstances would I ever let anybody hold my passport. So keep that in mind as well. When Once you arrive later down the road. Yeah. So how about once you get there, what, what's life like as an expat living in Korea? It's pretty awesome. I mean, as you said in the beginning, some of the best times of my life were in Korea. You know, there's there's so many things, so many things to do, and and there's uh, so many different areas and so many different types of uh, activities that you can do when you're living in, in South Korea. And even though there are so many different areas with uh, different types of cuisine and all of this, everything's very well connected by bus and by train. So you could get to one end of the country and back home again in one day if you really wanted to by bus. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's a small enough country that a year is enough to basically explore quite a bit of the country that you I mean you can get a, get around by train by bus i mean even by flight i guess they have some flights from seoul to busan and maybe to jeju island also things like that so it's relatively easy to travel between cities in korea which is one of the great things that they have going for them there yeah that's right so you'll have when you start looking into jobs you'll see jobs advertised for seoul uh the, the capital city uh big bus bustling metropolis so many things to do Excellent nightlife, excellent food, excellent shopping, excellent music scene. And just right outside the cities, there's mountains. So lots of hiking, lots of outdoor activities that you could do. Down in the south, it's a little bit more laid back. They speak uh, in a different accent, but they still speak Korean. You'll find cities like Busan, a beachside, beachside kind of resort type town, but still 3 million people or 4 million people live there. So a lot to do there. It's, it's much like Seoul. It's just you're on the beach instead. Uh, you go a little bit further inland and you'll end up in a place like Masan where uh, Bob used to work. Yeah, it was Changwon was the big city, but Masan was like the suburb, I guess. So it's still like a suburb of Busan, but it was really fun. I mean, I had a, some pretty contrasting times there, right? So the very first year I was in a language center in a very small town. Shout out to Hadong. 
And then uh, the second year I was in basically a suburb or a larger town, larger city that had a lot of the the comforts of home basically. So that's something you need to take into account when you're, when you're moving as well. So they, and they both have their, their ups and downs, I guess, you know, to tell you the truth though, I, I mean, I really enjoyed Hadong, the small town that I was in and there's only a few thousand people there and only a few expats as well. But I, I mean, I ended up meeting some really cool people there. And uh, Masan was also nice, a bigger city. It was nice to have a bar to go to and some Western food every now and then. But, uh, you know, it's all about it's, it's just about your personal preference, what, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. I mean, con- contrasting, as you said, living, living in the small Hadong area where, where you and I ended up meeting. That was, that was probably one of the better times. It was just so nice and the air was so clean. Yeah, you're not going to find what you need all of the time, but you could take a train or a bus over to Busan or over to Masan or even up to Jinju, which is another large city, not as big as Seoul, obviously, but big enough to find what you need. So you're, you're always well connected there. You find what you need in the bigger cities. Uh, you can always find something to do on the weekends, you know, hiking. You and I used to go out on the boat quite often and go fishing like every other weekend. That was that was probably one yeah, of the best what- parts. Yeah, that's one of the good things about living out in the countryside is that there's a lot of outdoor activities to do too. And I guess, you know, finding, going back to finding what you need. I mean, if you're willing, I guess this kind of goes for all expats teaching abroad. If you're willing to pay the price and you're willing to go to the big city like Seoul or Busan, you can find Western products and Western food, things like that uh, quite easily, really. I mean, it, it will cost you maybe about double what it's going to cost you in the States, but uh the States or the UK or whatever it is you come from. But uh, you, you can find whatever it is basically that you want. It just depends on, is that, is that an important thing to you to have some of the comforts of home? Or are you okay to just delve right into the culture and eat kimchi for every day for three meals a day for an entire year? No, on that last part. But on the first part, I can remember uh, when, when it hit me one day is I was living in the small town down in Hadong and I was just craving Dr. Pepper. I don't, I don't know what yeah. came over me. I don't even like Dr. Pepper that much, but I was just craving a Dr. Pepper. And I took a bus the, 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 the week ahead. I took a bus six hours up to Seoul, went to Costco or one of those places, and I bought three cans of Dr. Pepper, and they were about $3 a can. And then I started looking around and finding more things. Like It was difficult to find oatmeal. Ended up finding oatmeal, spending $20 on a regular Quaker, Quaker thing of oatmeal. And, but it's those little things finding what you need. You can get them. You'll spend more money though. Taco Bell. Do you remember when that opened up for the very first time? It was like Christmas. That's great. My mom's not going to be too happy about hearing if she listens to this podcast about me and traveling five hours or six hours to get Taco Bell, but you know, it is what it is. And it is delicious. It is. Yeah. And then beyond, beyond these things, you know, finding what you need, that, that kind of segues into I called it on our, on our little uh, organizational paper here that we put together, our little outline, Haircuts and Doctors. We talked about doctors in the last podcast and haircuts. I can think of another good story where I, I was just walking around one day and I really needed a haircut. It was that time and walked in there and I said, okay, like I had this little uh, Korean phrase book. I found trim. I just wanted a trim. I didn't want them to do anything too drastic. And they... Uh, they did something drastic and they shaved off the sides of my hair and the top of my hair. And this guy came out of nowhere and he was like, I speak English. Can I help? And I was like, nah, I think it's a little too late for that. And I looked like a bushy twig for the next few weeks. A lot of times what they do at those kind of places is they'll have like a magazine full of, yeah. full of models or like things like that. And they're like, uh, just point to which kind of haircut you want. 
So then you just flip through the pages and find one that looks like semi presentable. But, you know, you'll pretty much end up with the Kim Jong-un haircut no matter which one you choose. Yeah, I don't don't think it ever went that bad for me, though. (laughs) I I didn't get the Kim Jong-un haircut. I look back at some of the pictures of myself when I was there and I don't know what happened to me. But, you know, I guess a hairstyle wasn't that important when I was there. But, you know, there's a lot of other good stuff, too. I mean, Koreans like to drink as well. So there's plenty of bars and and if you get in a bigger city, they've got clubs, Western style clubs as well. So things like that, mm-hmm. the drinking culture, they've got they've got their own style of vodka, basically, which is soju and then their own rice wine, which is makgeolli, which is really good as well. We Zach and I had one failed attempt when we tried to make makgeolli one time out, out in the uh, out in the countryside and it ended up just tasting like a jar full of dirt. But uh we didn't drink too much of it, so we didn't like become blind or anything like that. But it was an experience for sure. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Yeah, that was the day we went out fishing and we came back with all the fish and uh, our buddy cleaned him up and then he, he owned the bar in the town and then uh, his wife helped us make mockley and, you know, did all, did all the steps that she told us and we waited the five to seven days that she said was required and then seven days later, we showed up at that bar that they owned. She was like, okay, mockley's ready. She pours us a glass and as you said, it just, it was just pure dirt. Like it just tasted like earth. I mean, it's supposed to be like a milky color, but ours was like, I don't know. It looked like brown, <laughs> it looked brown, you know? It was brown anyway, and clumpy. Yeah. Brown and clumpy. Yeah. So how about, how about the dating scene in Korea? What do you think about that? Maybe this, we could just touch on it a bit since this is an education podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am, I imagine a lot of people that, that do this are going to be single. Why? Because I was single when I moved there. You were single when you moved there. Almost all of our friends were single except for, you know, two couples, I think is, is what I remember running into over the course of three years. So dating there is going to be a little bit different than dating at home. In the States, we kind of take it slow and and you go on a few dates and you see how it goes. And there, uh, the girl told me she loved me on the second date. So our second, third date, they're ready. You're, they're ready for you to meet their parents or something like that. Right. That's how it was for, yeah. The one girl that I was quite serious with. Well, Uh, You you just have to take into account the different, it's going to be different. It's going to be a new experience, but you know, like you said, most of the people that go out there are single. Like it's, it's difficult to move an entire family out to Korea to go out and teach. So uh, the majority of people who go out there are going to be single men and women, I guess. And I mean, there's a lot more locals than there are expats. So the chances of you, if you are dating to date a Korean, which is, is a not a bad experience, I guess, you know, you just have to take into account the different cultural norms that they have and kind of roll with the tide at some points and just kind of keep your head down and make it clear about what you're okay with and not okay with, you know, meeting the parents on the third date, I'd say probably that's not okay. Yeah, I, remember, I think in any situation. <laughs> I remember this one girl I was dating for just a, just a bit. She told me that she had already booked her wedding. I mean, she had already booked her wedding. I, mean, we, I think we already broke up after that, but but she told me she already booked her wedding. I said, oh, you're, you, have a, you, have another, you have a new boyfriend now? She's like, oh, no, no, I don't have any boyfriend yet. So this woman booked her wedding venue and she didn't even have a boyfriend yet. So that's the kind of stuff that you're probably going to run into. For us, it seems a bit weird for them. I don't know, maybe it's normal. <laughs> it's normal to them because, they, I mean, it's, I, I didn't, I've never experienced anything as extreme as that, but um yeah, I think just open communications, op- open open line of communication is is really important and just explain your expectations and make sure that if you, you know, you are going to date somebody and you're on a one-year contract that they're aware of these things that that you there's the potential that you might be leaving in a year. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, of course you might not leave in a year, but right. uh it's still better to make sure that it doesn't rush too quickly otherwise you break some hearts and then they know where you work. 
Yeah, right. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's like teaching as well, right? You know, you might be there for a year, you might be there, be there for longer, you never know. Actually, when I when I first moved to Korea, I thought I was just going to go there for a year, get a bit of experience and then move home. And I'm still abroad now. I'm not in Korea anymore, but that started it. Yeah, it's a pretty good experience. So how about going back to the teaching, the teaching realm, I guess. Are there any differences working in Korea, you think, then that's maybe unique to Korea that you wouldn't find in any other country, especially the US or the UK or any other Western country that you can mention here? I don't think there's any like anything terribly unique to working there other than, you know, in, in Eastern cultures, it's a lot more hierarchical. Um, in Western cultures, yeah, there is an hi- there is a hierarchy, but but there it's it's very well respected. And if you are younger, then that's where you are on the totem pole. If you're younger, you're lower on the totem pole, regardless of position or rank. But because of the age difference and the age being of such high importance, you're not really going to find too many people that are younger than you with a higher position than you or you know, vice versa. So we talked about last, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about collegiality and all these kind of things. You're, it's going to be difficult. I mean, in a public school, a language center, an after school pro- program, I'm not sure about private international schools, but it's going to be difficult to find that kind of school, I would say, in Korea. They're, they're going to be more traditionally structured with the principal and vice principal at the top. You know, they've got their own office. They've got a big chair, a big desk, people bow when they come into their office. If they're given some kind of directive, they they do it. You don't ask questions about it. You do it and you do it to the best of your ability. And then that's that basically. So that's that's maybe a bit of a difference between teaching in a Western country and teaching in Korea. Yeah. There's not much of a discussion. You know, if the principal says do this, he's going to tell the vice principal and the vice principal is going to disperse that information to the heads of departments. And then they tell you, and then that's that Having any discussion whatsoever about it is not going to happen unless you're really pushy and really stern. And I they don't, don't want to like say not to do that. They yeah, don't like they pushy don't. and stern. No, but you know, it's okay to stand your ground sometimes, I think, and to give suggestions. And I think that's important, but you kind of have to take it in, into context, right? I mean, pick your battles. Really, exactly. you, have be, you have to be patient when working in Korea because there's a lot of time. There's a lot of downtime as a Western teacher where you'll, you'll kind of look around and be like, do I really need to be here right now? And uh, a lot of the times the question is actually no, but it's in your contract that you have to be there or this is what you signed up for, according to them. So even though there's nothing to do, sometimes you're just sitting there doing nothing. That's just that's just the way it is sometimes. So you really have to be a patient person to deal with some kind of some of these situations sometimes. Yeah. And actually, it's not that bad. There, there are a lot of times, like you said, where I was just sitting there just thinking, what am I doing today? I mean, lesson plans already done, classes already taught, essays already marked or tests already marked. Can I just go home? You know, but, but it goes back to just because they're not practicing collegiality doesn't mean that you should stop a pursuit, your pursuit of a collegial work environment. So being part of that environment and being part of that family means a lot, even if you're not doing much. Right. They, uh, they, they see you. They see you there. They see you there. Yeah, of course. They just don't know how to include you all the time because they back back when we were teaching there, I don't think they were that accustomed to it yet. You know, they didn't really know what to do. I think now probably it's a little bit more streamlined. But back then they were probably thinking, well, what, how's he going to integrate in this? And then no one told them how to integrate him into this. So but leaving in the middle of all of it would also be kind of like a slap in the face to them. So there, there's just little things. And as I said in the last podcast as well, just Take each day in stride and relax and just appreciate where you're at and what you're doing and the fact that you're interacting in a way that a lot of people don't have the experience to do. 
actually my my last public school that I was at, maybe just one semi-collegial story that's a little bit funny here. I met with the principal and we were talking and then uh, he asked me, he said that they had two candidates for an a Korean English teacher who would come and help me out with some, be a partner for me in some of my classes that I taught. So he asked me if I would sit in on the interview and then, you know, take five or 10 minutes and then converse with the person in English as well. So we can find out whose English is better and this and that, I guess. But uh, he's like, okay, well, we go out and have lunch first. And then we come back and we, and we interview the person. Oh yeah. Okay. That sounds good. So we, we went out to the, this Korean barbecue place and like, okay, okay, well, we'll get a few bottles of soju. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to say no. So they, uh, Start pouring the soju and my my face, just like a lot of the Asians here, gets red when I drink soju. So, uh, you know, I had about three or four shots of it and then it's like, all right, it's time to head back. By the time we get back, my face is bright red. So I'm sitting in this interview with this person trying to interview them for a job that they want to get with a big old red soju face try i mean i wasn't drunk but i was you know so much alcohol rushed to my blood i guess maybe that's what it was so uh yeah so i did did an interview with a korean teacher with a big old soju red face um in their collegial in their collegial attempt to include me as part of the as part of the leadership of the school i guess yeah i've seen that before there was one in in a town over the head of the english department at my school asked if I wanted to go observe another English teacher and then critique him uh, at, at the end. And I said, yeah, sure. So that was, you know, similar to what you said, it was an attempt to create this type of collaborative collegial environment to give each other feedback, to give this expat feedback. It backfired totally. The 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 guy that I observed was so defensive about, <laughs> about everything. Like, I, I, I don't even remember him doing anything bad. I just made a suggestion and then he lost it. And I just said, oh, yeah, okay, you know. A lot of times it's people's first first jobs, right? Their first teaching jobs at in abroad or at home or anything. So it's difficult for people to figure out how to take feedback. It's at the beginning point, right? Maybe. Maybe that's yeah. that has something to do with it. Absolutely. You know, that's that's most of what we want to talk about regarding Korea today. Uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. We could break this down into 10 more episodes talking about the types of alcohol you could drink, type of foods you want, your school experiences. We could tell story after story, but we are out of time. Yeah. And and thanks for everyone for the the contributions that we got from this week. Actually, this last one, this last podcast that we did about teaching English abroad kind of inspired us to break it up into different categories now. So last we've, we've taught in Korea. So here's the Korea post. And then next week we'll do, uh, oh, sorry, the next post we'll have one on Indonesia that we have probably even more experience on. So look forward to that. And Please, if you can, give us some comments. Uh, let us know how we're doing. If there's, if you had a different experience in Korea or anything that we missed, you think that's very important to know before you go, then please drop us a line on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We got it all. Yep. Take care, all. We'll see you soon. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.